you're familiar with any farmers or those who make their living off the land, uh, that question, where have the weeds come from, uh, is the perennial question of those kind of people. My dad happens to be uh, an ag professor, and so he's always wondering in his fields, where did the weeds come from? About 40 yards to my right over there in the courtyard between the school and the church um, and the rectory, you'll find a magnificent tree shading the entire courtyard. The little deck and balcony area that's part of the rectory actually incorporates this tree into it. Um, And because of this, because of its continued growth, it's actually pulling the stairs out of alignment. So we got to add that to the maintenance list on the the things here in our beautiful uh, cathedral grounds. But nevertheless, it's a magnificent tree. It's a beautiful, beautiful tree. What I find remarkable about it is that that tree, which is so large and can bear so much weight, it grew from a tiny acorn, right? Then it became a seedling and then a little tree, and then a medium-sized tree, and only after many years has it reached its true maturity. All of its power to bear heavy loads and to grow to the height of the buildings around it, however, existed in that acorn, in that little seed. See, this is like what the Lord speaks about when he talks about the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven grows slowly, but it reaches to the heights. Nothing will stop it. And just like the stairs over there next to the side of the rectory are not going to stop the tree from growing. They just get pushed out of the way. Likewise with the leaven, the yeast, it only takes a little amount. Just a little bit if you've ever baked bread. But it takes a while for that yeast to work. you got to get up early in the morning if you want cinnamon rolls. Note what Christ is telling us here, brothers and sisters. The kingdom grows slowly, yet it's fully alive from the very beginning. He is the kingdom. Christ is the kingdom fully alive. And, And He wishes that kingdom to grow. But He does it slowly so that many would have the chance for repentance, would have the chance for the joy of knowing Christ as you and I know Christ. With these thoughts percolating in our minds, brothers and sisters, let's turn to that main parable of today. The wheat and the weeds. Now, if you remember the parable from last week, Jesus talked about the sower and the different types of soil. In that parable, the Lord invited us to consider what type of soil we were. He helped us recognize those interior obstacles to the flourishing life of grace in ourselves. Remember, we want to be good, fruitful soil. Today, to continue the analogy a little bit, Christ turns our to our relationship with the other plants that are growing in the field of the world. And he places this question, which is a question that we all have probably asked if we're of any appreciable age here. How do we react when another does not bear the expected fruit? In more literal terms, how do we confront evil? And why does it exist? What purpose does it serve in our life as a disciple 
What purpose does it serve in the kingdom of heaven? Why is it here? These aren't sterile questions, brothers and sisters. Many of the most brilliant minds, saints and sinners alike, have struggled with them. For example, when St. Thomas Aquinas, the great common doctor of the church, is talking about or summarizing the objections to God's existence, the problem of evil is the first objection, the best objection that he gives. We're in good company then if we, if when these, if these questions arise in our hearts as well. If we believe in God, ultimately all these questions come down to kind of be summarized as this. Why does God allow evil to continue? Now Thomas's answer is very beautiful and it's concise as he always is. It says it is part of the infinite providence the infinite goodness of God, that he should allow evil to exist and out of it produce good. That kind of response, it it merits reflection. It merits thought and prayer. Because these are the only means of coming to see what Thomas gets at in so succinct a manner. Which is also, I mean, of course, it's also what the Lord proposes to us in the form of the parable today. So what good comes in the parable from allowing the plants, uh, the, the weeds, and the wheat to grow together? First of all, we hear about how before they bear fruit, the wheat and the weeds are difficult, if not impossible, to distinguish. In another place, he says, it's by your fruit. It's by the fruit that you judge a tree by fruit that they are known. Thus the growing time, remember the mustard seed again, is necessary because God loves His people. He gives us time to grow so that we might have time to repent. And through that grace of repentance, He changes us from weeds to wheat. This has very practical implications for you and for I. As the Lord has been given, has given us generously time to repent, so also He calls us to be generous in allowing others room to repent and to grow from their mistakes. See, rash judgments are not the way of the Father who gives His children good ground for the hope that God would prevent, per- permit repentance of their sins. That's what it says in that first reading from Wisdom. Giving people the benefit of the doubt, kindly admonishing people without judging their character, and looking for ways to empathize. That means to understand the other person's situation as they do, can all help us extend the love we have received to others. See, Augustine has this to say when we encounter evil in the world. St. Augustine. Let a man gently reprove whatever is in his power. What is not so, let him bear with patience and mourn over with affection until he that is from above, God, shall correct and heal. Let him defer till harvest time to root out the weeds. As Augustine suggests, there's some evils that we should remedy and correct as possible. These These are things that fall within our power. For example, parents have authority over their children 
to correct evil that they see in order to help them grow in virtue and to protect them from other evil outside. Pastors and priests also exercise this type of responsibility for their parish, for their flock. But this also extends, brothers and sisters, to friendships. Some of the closest friends that I have are the ones who were able to lovingly tell me I needed to repent of specific sins in my life and who walked with me in that struggle. They became instruments of my conversion from weeds to wheat. Nevertheless, brothers and sisters, as Augustine also suggests, we as Christians will often confront situations in which evil comes about over which we have no power. There's some evils that we simply can't stop from happening. Sometimes that's because there's some other good that would also be stopped if we stopped that evil. And other times it's just because we don't have the power to do it. See, this is the situation that's ultimately most unsettling for us. And it's the situation precisely which is portrayed in the parable. They come to the master and they say, do you want us to pull out the weeds? And Jesus says, no, you don't do that because if you do that, you'll pull up the wheat and you will pull up, and you, you may damage the rest of the crop. The master thus forbids them from doing that. Remember Thomas's statement. Remember St. Thomas's word there. God allows evil. He never causes evil. He allows evil and he brings good from it. But notice, brothers and sisters, in the parable, this is a hidden process. The intertwining roots are under the soil. We don't know how precisely this comes about. But we can be assured, brothers and sisters, that he never permits evil without bringing some greater good from it. And the reason for that is the cross. The most perfect example of this type of bringing good from evil is the cross. The cross which is man's total rejection of love himself which becomes for you and for I the very place of victory. The place, the fountain of new life for us. Out of the cross comes our salvation. Christ chooses to endure such great evil because He sees the great good, our salvation. Through the evil Christ suffered on the cross, man knows how much God loves him. And it's stirred to love Him in return. And in that lies you and I's salvation. Anytime you and I suffer any type of evil in union with Christ, we show the world how much God loves them. We become an image of that cross wherever we are. The kingdom of heaven already triumphs because Christ... who who is its embodiment, has already triumphed through His cross and in His resurrection. 